0: All right, let's go, Keith. 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 Oh, yeah, he's back in Fargo moving down. You know what? One of the biggest shows of the year, the one that gets me really fired up because we get to talk Southern Conference basketball. If you know me, you've listened to the show, huge SoCon hoops nerd, if you will, and very excited to talk hoops. Wish I had somebody to bounce or somebody to calm me down, uh, some of my ideas. And so uh, – You can't stop me. Won't stop, can't stop. So, unfortunately, when I get rolling downhill here, I apologize because there's nobody here that's going to keep me in check. So I'm going to do a deep dive on the men's basketball, women's basketball. i am also got Jordan King stopping by a little bit later. Uh, So if there's kind of an awkward pause in the podcast and then interview Jordan and then do the magic of podcasting, uh, there might be a weird transition uh, because I'll jump back in and finish my men's basketball We'll talk Jordan King, uh, Coach Brenda Mock-Brown will be here uh, this afternoon as well. So I'll be able to talk to her and we'll break down the women's side of the Southern Conference as well. And as you know, we love to tier things. So I'm going to give you my tiers to the Southern Conference. I think there's always three tiers. There's the tier ones, the teams I think most likely to fight for the championship. Tier two is kind of that middle pack that... Either could be just a step below, or have enough to maybe get in that top group. But I think there's they got to prove something before they get in the top group. And then there's the last group, which pretty self-explanatory. Probably no shot at a championship. Doesn't mean I think they're necessarily the worst teams in the league. Um, uh, well, I guess you could say that probably if you put them in the third tier. But that being said, I think there's three tiers, and and with a ten-team league and the men's side, I think there's four teams in tier one. The coaches agreed with me. Uh, the media agreed with me. And the coaches' poll right off the bat was Furman, Sanford, UNCG, Chattanooga, one, two, three, four. Now, I had Furman, Sanford, one, and two, and then had Chat, three, UNCG, four on my ballot. But, you know, I think we're kind of splitting hairs there. The middle group will go over. As well, Wofford, ETSU, Mercer, and some order, however you want to order that. And then I think the military schools in Western Carolina is kind of tier three right now. Western Carolina, Citadel, VMI, for those of you checking. So, I'm going to start with uh, the media. They said Furman, and I believe the coach said Furman as well. And it makes sense if you just look on paper. They've got the most uh, key pieces coming back. You look at Furman. And Bob Ritchie's now been there for, uh, it seems like, uh, not quite forever, but he's been there now for uh, uh, close to a decade. And you returned some names that you, you just know from last year's team, and some of them for three or four years now. But Mike Bothwell's going to be in his fifth year. You know, he was my preseason player of the year. when I When I filled that out, I know Jake Stevens got a lot of pub and being at a new school. If it was still at VMI, I probably would have gone Jake Stevens, but – You know, not that he can't be successful Chad, Chattanooga, just things are different, right? Can everybody learn the offense? There's a lot of things. But I think, for me, it was Mike Bothwell, It was my preseason player of the year, and then maybe the most improved guy I thought that had a spectacular season last year, kind of came out of nowhere, was Jalen Slauson. And then there's a couple guys that, you know, we've seen around and we'll see how they do. Garen Heen was able to get some action. Joe Anderson was a guy that was getting a lot of playing time at a guard position they added a few key pieces maybe the most interesting one for me uh, just because I remember when Steve Forbes at Wake Forest got him to play early during that COVID year because he got to play as a freshman when it didn't count and so that's Carter Witt he played on 31 games last year for Wake Forest I think he even started two or three of them maybe a couple more not many but started a few so I think that's kind of where I'm going to start with I think you know, there's other names on that roster uh, as well and got some some new guys coming in and we'll see kind of how they progress. You know, it's a school and Carter Witt coming from a private school able to transfer in, makes sense. But this is predominantly hard to get transfers, Wofford, Furman, VMI, uh, hard to get transfers to come in and play. So it's a lot of high school guys, a lot of developing. So a lot of names you're going to see, a lot of people that have been in the system, be curious to see how Carter Witt, kind of an outsider coming in, how he fits. But they've certainly Furman would have a solid five guys coming back. I mean, you got your top two scorers coming back, a Mike Bothwell and Jalen Slosson. You know, Bothwell is almost 16 points a game, Slosson 14 and a half. But then you look at Slosson, right? He had that impressive stat line with the reboundings. He led the team in assists, uh, block shots, steals. I mean, he was just all over the place, just a great uh, facilitator of the offense. Now the two big losses uh one is you know my personal favorite Alex Hunter is finally gone from Furman it was a sad day for me to see Alex finally gone for Furman probably good for the rest of the league and then uh fifth year guy they transfer in and Conley Garrison you know he really kind of stepped it up as the season went along and then their kind of fifth guy there was Marcus Foster who's back so they got some key pieces back they'll be running the same system there shouldn't be that much of a changeover for the Paladins I think last year was probably the best year and again I'm sure Bob Ritchie could care less how I feel about his rotation but I thought it was the best he did in since he's been doing this at rotating more than six maybe seven guys I mean normally there were six guys well five guys would average like 33 minutes or more One guy would average like 25, and then the rest would be like five, six minutes. And I always said I think they got tired and were having trouble finishing out games. And especially when they got to the tournament, I didn't think they had any legs. Well, last year four guys averaged around 31 minutes if you average it out. Then they had somebody, Marcus Foster, around 24 minutes. But then they had four players double-digit minutes, Garrett Heen, Joan Anderson, J.P. Pagas, and then uh, Hewley. Tyrese Hewley. So, I think if Coach Ritchie does that again, gets guys some extra minutes here and there, I think it's huge for the end of the season. I think also scheduling is kind of key when you have a pretty good team, and I think Coach Ritchie has done a very good job scheduling. He gets a North Greenville opener, then he takes on Belmont for ETSU fans, you know, or ASUN folks, maybe Mercer as well, clearly – You know Belmont, I think if you follow them into major basketball at all, you know Belmont, but I think that's a solid non-conference game. Then they'll play in the Charleston Classic where they get Penn State and then the winner-loser, Virginia Tech, Old Dominion, so you can get a few games in there. Then you get Tusclam, Appalachian State's a good one, South Carolina State, you know, high point, Winthrop. Winthrop's always kind of a rivalry game for South Carolina schools, to say the least. And then I think one of the more intriguing matchups they get at home is the team ETSU got uh, in Brooks Gym. Uh, not Brooks, Jim, sorry, in Freedom Hall many years ago, which is Stephen F. Austin. And so that'll be December 17th. So that's one kind of circle on the calendar, if you like mid-major basketball. Then they take on Anderson College, and they jump right into Southern Conference play. And, you know, they're going to get off to a good start. I mentioned the three teams I think are not going to be particularly great. Well, that's the three teams Furman's going to play off the bat. VMI, Western, Citadel, should be 3-0 and before they take on ETSU, Mercer, UNCG, Chattanooga, Wofford, Sanford. So, it starts to get downhill there. But they should be able, I think, to pick up uh, three wins and kind of get things going. Uh, so, I really like what Coach Ritchie's done with the roster. I like, you know, being able to return all those guys, keep them there. I love the way his schedule works out. There's some challenging stuff. Then you can kind of catch a breather. Then you get another challenge. You know, the game at NC State I think is a possibility. Uh, I don't think – you know, Penn State or NC State is going particularly great this year, so they got a great opportunity there. And Then, you know, if they get to play Virginia Tech, obviously the the old Wofford Furman rivalry somewhat comes into play. Uh, you know, um, so I really like kind of the mixture of what Bob Ritchie um, and Furman has tried to do, and I would like to see an, one more Bob Ritchie Mike Young matchup, although it's Mike Young maybe has a little more tools as. Uh, you know, to his shed. But let me say this. I do think Virginia Tech and style of game they play kind of fits into what Furman wants to do. So be curious to see if they get a play. Certainly a game I would want to watch. The next team we're going to pay attention to is Buckyball. And I think, again, spectacular job of, of making over the roster and then maintaining. Almost every single one of his players, though, um, you know, Early on we were all transfers, and now he's got a little bit of mix of bringing some new guys in or redshirting them in and try to get them going. But it starts with Quez Glover, and then I think the big addition to Bubba Par. Probably, you know, if they can coexist sharing the basketball, and I don't know that they can, but if they can coexist sharing the basketball, could be maybe the best one-two punch in all Southern Conference this season. So we know what Quez Glover can do, the transfer from Florida last year. Not particularly a great three-point shooter, but can score, can get to the rim. Then you have a great score in Bubba Parham. So, both those guys can score in different ways. Then you're adding in Jane Campbell, Jermaine Marshall, A.J. Stanton-McRae, um, Logan Dye, right, is he still there? I mean, it, it, there's a lot. Yeah, Logan Dye's still there. Uh, Cooper Kaifers is there. I mean, so there's just a lot of uh, Quinn Ritchie. There's a lot of scoring uh, to be had on a team, an average about 75 points per game I think maybe the only real loss uh, I don't think Wesley Kardec came back so other than that you know for the top five and then you add in Bubba parham and and it all looks real good for Sanford now the one thing I will say I'm not real sure Buckyball scheduling I'm a little confused D ones I and I know They try to make a rule where it was two, and then the academies are having a hard time getting games. But to me, there's no excuse, uh, especially coming off a good year. Sanford has four non-D1s. They open up with almost vomit in my mouth when I read this. Anderson University, Spring Hill College, Bellhaven. And if that was the only three and they moved on, I would be fine. Then they play Alabama A&M, Texas Southern. Then they get a pretty decent little stretch, Valparaiso, Louisiana Tech, all at home. So, they're not going to leave the Pete Hanna Center. What do they got? I guess they go to Alabama A&M. I, I apologize. I thought that was at home. So, they get three home games. They go to Alabama A&M, which is just in Huntsville, Alabama. Then they get Texas Southern at home, Valparaiso at home, Louisiana Tech at home, Tech, uh, Tennessee Southern. So, they're fourth 91. Then they go on a pretty brutal five-game swing. I'll give them that. They go two to Paul in Chicago, two Central Florida. To, uh Louisiana, Lafayette, or Louisiana, now the Raging Cajuns. And I have no idea why they're going to South Carolina State, but that's not a great trip either. And then they're going to go to Belmont, a good test at Belmont. So, that part of the schedule I get. I think they could have replaced a couple or at least one, maybe not that Tennessee Southern game. They could have found another mid-major game somewhere. And then they open up conference play, and it's pretty good a little mixed bag. They take on Mercer. Then they got Citadel, VMI, and... And then right in a row, Greensboro, Wofford, Chattanooga, ETSU. So, I I think they get, again, a nice start. Should be able to pick up several wins with the 9-D ones. Maybe they get things going and some of the SWAC opponents they play. Who knows? Go on the road after you win all those. But I think they're going to be a pretty good team. I I think they could have maybe added a couple more challenges to the schedule. Um, And I don't know. Maybe they needed more home games for some reason that I'm unaware of. But – I think they're going to be good. I think Bucky Ball's got a chance to um, kind of shut down some of the haters. Uh, Mike Gallagher's not here right now to defend himself, but we'll be curi- I'll be curious to see how Bucky Ball does in year three when he made such a big jump in year two. Moving to Chattanooga, and, boy, this is one of those rosters, like lost a couple but added a couple, right? So a uh, couple to graduation, a uh, uh, couple transferred out, Jake Stevens, maybe the most notable, transferring in from VMI. Hunter Huff, a talented guy at VMI, transferring in. Jamal Johnson from UAB, UTSU fans saw him last year. Dalvin White from USC Upstate. And then uh, Christian Kersalt from Houston Baptist, a uh, transfer as well. Then you add in A.J. Caldwell, who obviously the shooter, game winner a few years ago against CTSU. Casey Hankton, I thought, kind of came into his own. Last year, then you got some guys that saw some playing time, and Jamal Walker, uh, Grant Ledford, who had a huge game against ETSU, his best game as a collegiate player. Uh, didn't in the uh, that was the game down there. Didn't have a particularly great game up here, um, and then a few other names they've added to the roster, are just a couple of freshmen, and Sam Alexis and uh, Brody Robinson out of Houston, Texas. So, you know, Coach Dan Earl, huge fan, thought he did great things at. VMI, now he's going to be able to try to have a better budget, a better place to recruit to, better athletes. So I think it will be pretty quick before Coach Earl will be able to turn around – not turn around, Chattanooga went to the tournament last year, but be able to uh, take over a winning program and kind of keep it to that level. So let me reword that. So I think he can keep it there. You look at their schedule, I think it's great. They're at College Charleston, game I love, old Southern Conference rivalry game there then they got Oakland City at home then they're at Ole Miss and Covington College and then a couple of uh you know just OVCs or Big South's coming right at you uh or ASUN I guess there uh take on Lipscomb then they got Murray State Tennessee Tech Gardner-Webb all great mid-major games drivable that I think their fans and our fans ETSU fans would be happy to play then they're going to play Milwaukee at home, another team each issue has played in recent memory. They'll host uh, host Johnson University. Then they'll go to Middle Tennessee, and then they've also got Belmont. So Belmont, I believe, has three Southern Conference teams and, and three of the best. So give Belmont credit because they scheduled Sanford, they scheduled Furman, and they scheduled Chattanooga. So Belmont, certainly not afraid to play a solid major schedule. Then Chattanooga will take on the same team ETSU does from the SEC in Georgia. Then he opened conference play, Citadel, Mercer, UNCG, VMI, Western Carolina. Then they get a little bit of the meat of the schedule, Sanford, Furman, uh, ETSU, Wofford, ETSU. Yeah, that's the awkward ETSU. And Chattanooga will play back-to-back Saturdays on the 21st and the 28th. So the fourth team I'm going to look at in my tier one is Mike Jones and UNCG. I thought he had some trouble – Scoring, but defensively and how hard they played, certainly you couldn't question that. He still got the Langley brothers um, that are there. They added Miguel Brown Jones, who's from uh, transfer from VCU, um, and they still got Bass Lida. They still got Miles Jones's son, who played some solid minutes. They've tried to add a few more. Keandre Kennedy is a grad transfer um, that is coming in. Jalen White uh, was on that roster, didn't see a lot of action last year. Um, you know, I think. Deontay Tracy's another interesting one to watch this year. And then a uh, redshirt junior transfer from Canisius, uh, Akram Amen. So, we'll see kind of how that roster shakes up. I think it starts um, with uh, Keyshawn Langley. Uh, He's been outstanding. Um, You know, Colby, I think, got better as a year. I think Keyshawn's still a little better between the two. But Colby started to kind of come into his own. I think Tracy started to really – kind of coming to his own, um, but they lost a lot of scoring. That's the only concerning thing. You know, Devontae Buckingham was the one-year guy. He's gone. Baslida was the number two scorer. Then it was Caleb Hunter. He's not there. And then uh, Muhammad Abdul Salam. So, really, three of the top five guys, top six. Three of the top six guys are gone when you look at the Langley's light and then right outside that, uh, Deonte Tracy. So, you know, Jalen White was another guy, just averaged about four points, but he's going to get a lot more playing time. So UNCG, I think, you know, they were tough for me because I don't know that they were, you know, they're kind of the bottom of Tier 1, but I think they were the top of Tier 2. And since I had four teams had to go somewhere, I kind of cautioned them putting them at at Tier 1 instead of Tier 2. But, I mean, again, I think I'm splitting hairs at, at that point in time. And I like their schedule. Open up against Johnson and Wells. They're at Miami and Florida. And I think they get a couple of good home games in Townsend and UMBC. Then they play in the Northern Classic, which I love this setup over in Montreal, Quebec. They're going to play a round robin. So they'll play for sure Montana State, Hofstra, Stephen F. Austin. So another SOCON school taking on Stephen F. Austin. Then they'll be at North Carolina a Elon, and Arkansas. Certainly that's a huge one. Arkansas coming off a monster year last year. Uh, Then they take on a former Southern Conference foe in Greensboro. They'll take on Marshall, the Thundering Herd, Warren Wilson, then they're at Eastern Kentucky, then they jump into Southern Conference play against Western Carolina, Wofford, Chattanooga, Sanford, VMI, Furman. So pretty good little start there. They'll open up on the road at Western and Wofford. If they could pick up two wins there, then they get a good solid test against Chattanooga and Sanford at home before going on the road at VMI and then at Furman so just to look at that six game stretch for UNCG so uh, that's sort of my tier one for um, the Southern Conference now you know people I'm sure disagree on all of that some of that Um, and then tier two um, as stated already you know I think it's ETSU it's Wofford it's Mercer Um, since I'm a buck guy I'm going to go ahead and talk about ETSU first and we'll do uh you know maybe just a few extra minutes uh on the bucks again being a buck uh podcast uh, i'm going to cover that just a little bit more uh, than maybe the others but i think when you look at etsu they lost 20 well they didn't lose they only brought back 28 percent of their scoring um only 24 percent of the rebounding and i think it was 22 percent of the assists. so only five. If you include Cameron George the walk-on, there's only five names that were on the roster last year. Now, D'Anthony Tipler's one of those. that was like, well, in January's on the roster, but you know, playing games on the roster, there was only four guys that saw action really. And Cameron George, the fifth as a walk-on, got in a couple of games. But obviously, Jordan King, it kind of started with him. Jane Seymour started uh, a lot of games uh, for ETSU. Alan Struthers red-shirted, so he didn't see any and Cordell Charles was hurt for majority of the year and had off-season surgery, and then you had Cameron George, so two guys saw significant action, and then one redshirted, one was a walk-on, so a lot of questions and why I could see why ETSU wasn't maybe picked particularly high. Then you add a couple of Uh, And let's just start with some transfers, all right? They wanted to add size down low, right? So they added Jalen Haynes, the 6'8", 225 sophomore from Virginia Tech. I watched him. He looks awesome. Um, He can really score the basketball, really aggressive rebounding, talks a lot. You can tell he played for Mike Young at Virginia Tech. He talks a lot. So did uh, Brock Janzik, who played at Tennessee for Rick Barnes, familiar with Coach Oliver. He's a transfer in, 6'8", 225. He talks a lot. He's maybe not going to be the score. I could see him getting four to six points, maybe some, you know, second chance buckets, garbage baskets, stuff like that. But he's solid defensively. He talks. He knows exactly what to do, what coaches expecting out of him. He's ran that system. So I think that's obviously uh, a big uh, addition to the lineup. So those were the two kind of Big guys, you know, download now. They do have some other size that they added, uh, and you know, and I'll get to the freshmen in just a second. But they did add a couple transfers, uh, from the D2 ranks. Uh, Jamarius Harrison uh, is a grad transfer from Lee's McRae, 6'4, 193. He'll be on the wing, and then Justice Smith, six six, two fifteen, 215. Richard, sophomore from Mansfield University, averaged over 20 plus points from Lions, New York. So there's a couple D2 guys transferred up. Now, a guy that was playing at the SEC that didn't see a lot of action, just maybe a game or two, was Josh Taylor. And he's right now projected to be in the starting lineup as a really a three-man. Or a him and Jaden Seymour, one's the three, one's the four. He's 6'8", 205, and a junior, where Seymour is 6'8", 205, and a sophomore. So Taylor, the transfer from Georgia, you know, expected to be kind of in that lineup. And then De'Anthony Tipler, you know, Coastal Carolina, 5'10", 170, Smooth shooter, can score. Um, you know, we'll be curious to see what he does in the exhibition game. I believe right now he's kind of coming off the bench. Um, I think Alan Struthers for the moment is going to start over D'Anthony Anthony Tipler, but I will wait and see kind of how that plays out overall. Then you look at some freshmen. That's all on the team, Jeremy Gregory from Oak Hill, 6'6", freshman. You know, I'd be curious to see how much time he can really – work in right now i'm not sure that he's going to see a lot christian shaw's a guy that possibly could see some time six five two oh five freshman and then the other freshman uh Braden illick from morristown six nine two twenty five. actually beat jordan king in a three-point shootout so obviously a guy that can shoot um 69 225 i'm sure they'd like to get him still um yeah, a little stronger just because you're 225 coming out fresh, but it's not quite been in that weight room yet so you know if I had to throw a dart uh, at the lineup from watching practice I think it's going to be Jordan King at least on the first game on Monday night that counts Jordan King al uh, Alan Struthers Josh Taylor Jaden Seymour and Jalen Haynes. I'm actually kind of mad that somehow we can't get another J to start now uh, we got you know four J's and an a I don't I don't really I don't know what we got to do or either change allen's uh, Allen's name or uh, Tipler's name, one of the two. Anyway, so that's the look at sort of the roster in depth. Obviously, Jordan King, 97 triples from a year ago. He's going to be the leading scorer coming back, the leading rebounder coming back because ETSU lost its top four rebounders. Jaden Seymour only averaged in 3.4, but I think Jalen Haynes and Brock Janzik and Josh Taylor and those guys will be able to, to – help out on the glass and, and make up the difference there. Looking at the schedule, ETSU, uh, first home game uh, for the regular season, be Emory and Henry. Then over in the Asheville uh, Classic Championship, whatever that thing's called, it's going to be Elon first, and they'll play the Harvard or Louisiana, Lafayette. Um, then Arkansas Little Rock, the return game back to Freedom Hall, ETSU at Tennessee Tech, Appalachia State at Georgia Then you get March Hill, Jacksonville State at home at Moorhead. That'll be an interesting game. Queens College, followed by UNCA, and then at LSU before opening up conference play at Wofford, at VMI. And actually, the way the schedule works for ETSU, you know, I kind of like it. I mean, at Wofford's always been challenging. Then at VMI, not sure what to get. Then you get Western at home, and you get Furman, so you get both purples back-to-back. Then you're at the Citadel. Then it's a couple of home games with Mercer and Sanford, and then you really start starting on, and not that Mercer won't be a challenge, but really when you start January 14th through February 7th, that stretch, you're Mercer, Sanford at home, at Chat, at Mercer, Chattanooga again, Wofford, at Sanford, at UNCG. So what is that, seven games, two, four, six, no, eight games. That eight-game stretch, I think, clearly – will determine uh, where ETSU is. If they go 6 and 2, something like that, they're a contender. If they go 2 and 6, obviously they, you know, can win all these other games, but they would not be uh, in contention uh for a Southern Conference championship. So, let's go to the next team in the Wofford Terriers and this is a you know, this this one's one of the the, the tough ones because I'm not quite sure what to do with Wofford and Coach Jay McCauley because they've got a couple of names back that you expect numbers from. Number one, B.J. Mack, I think really you know, showed what kind of score he could be last year and now is going to have a green light, I think, to score more Um, at 6'8", 245 than Messiah Jones who just eats up ETSU. I don't know he does against wrestling, but he looks like an All-American every time he plays against ETSU and sometimes guys just kind of have that Look about them, and then from there, you know uh, it's going to be interesting. You know, can Corey Trip make a jump up? You know, they've got a couple transfers coming in. And Carson McCoracle, who is from Virginia, a sophomore, six three one ninety three, transfer from Southern Illinois. Kyler Flywich, who's six nine two fifty, Murray State transfer. Jackson Silvas, and then a, a Gulf Coast State College uh taris watson so rest coming in are freshmen and young and they've got a couple guys that you know sophomore campaign but didn't play a lot so it's just a lot of new names a lot of new faces certainly jay mccauley kept you know dwight perry and will murphy staffers there that can help them lead the way but i that's one team i'm you know they'll be well coached um very disappointed we don't get to see Fl- uh, Floppy McFlopperson uh, again. I uh, was very disappointed that Tyler Lawson uh, – or Larson will is gone, and I can't call him Floppy McFlopperson, but he transferred out. So, the roster, not sure. Uh, it's the most turnover Wofford's had ever. So, now their schedule, Bob Jones, high point, Drake. Then they go to the Battle of the Carolinas against Gardner-Webb. Um, and then it's either uh, – and then it, oh, I'm sorry. Then it's Gardner-Webb, and, and then they'll play North Carolina a t So it's just a four-team, two-team tournament there at the Jerry Richardson Indoor Stadium. That means, uh, if my math is right, Wofford will play Gardner-Webb. Then the next day, Gardner-Webb will play North Carolina A&T, and Wofford will play North Carolina a t Then they'll play North Greenville. Then they are also uh, taking on uh, LSU. That will be on the road on November 27th, Presbyterian, at home before they go to Vanderbilt. And then they'll host uh, Coastal Carolina. They'll go to old Southern Conference foe, Georgia Southern, down in Statesboro, take on Montreat. They'll play at Texas A&M. And then they open up league play hosting ETSU, UNCG. Then they'll go to Mercer. And then uh, they'll go Citadel and Sanford. So, pretty good little schedule uh, for Wofford, or at least what it looks like to me for Wofford. A good mix, being able to play some – Carolina teams get things going, but yet uh, also uh, being able to um, uh, kind of mix and mash uh, when they get some of the, the big-name teams as they play a few more money games than some of the others in the league, at least that we've looked up so far. Now, Mercer, uh, you know, I got them right there with ETSU, Wofford. I don't particularly – I kind of have ETSU and Wofford ahead of, of Mercer, but I think Mercer is – Certainly better than um, who I got in the bottom tier, uh, but there's a lot of question marks kind of there too. Um, I think they lost some some key pieces from a year ago. They got a few guys back. I think it starts. Uh, it's Kamar Robertson maybe going to be the guy there. Um, you know, James Glisson the third. He's done some things here and there. Um, Jose, Philip Jose is gone. Neftali Alvarez, for I don't know what in the world was going on there last year, but they seem to have a, a lot of issues. Jalen Johnson was a, a transfer came in, started at Tennessee, was going to go to ETSU with Coach Forbes, and, or with Coach Shea, excuse me. Then after that went down, he went ahead and went to uh, Wake Forest. That didn't go real well. Then he went down to uh, Mercer. And so, anyways, uh, they lost Jose, they lost Johnson, they lost Alvarez. So, that means uh, James Glisten third, Kamar Robertson, uh, Sean Walker uh, Jr.'s back. He was their third leading scorer. You know, Shannon Grant's a guy I'm not quite sure. You know, if he can get a little leaner, and I know they list him at 280, uh, which I think is generous, but if he got a little leaner and could get him down the floor, I think certainly he could – Add something to it. Then they got a transfer in Jalen McCreary, um, Louis Herro Jr., uh, Brandon Sparks, Jalen Cobb. So, not sure. And then they had some freshmen kind of sitting out. They also added uh, an interesting one in the uh, South African, seven foot two freshman from the Macaulay School there in uh, Chattanooga. So David Craig, all seven foot two him. Mean, he was on his visit while we were there, and he was very large. In case. You were unaware of what 7-2 looked like. He was a large, very, very large man. So, um, curious about how – Nefteli Alvarez, to me, was curious because they never – you know, Greg Gary couldn't quite get on the same page as him. Was he maybe a cancer to that team? Was he the catalyst to the team? There's really no – you know, some some games they looked great without him. Some games they looked lost without him. So, uh, you know, Phil Passe was a guy that just didn't want to play inside. Very talented scorer. But, you know, for Greg Gary, I don't know if this is a make-or-break year. But I think if he sticks around sixth or seventh again, it's certainly going to – people will start making some noise down there uh, in making because certainly, you know, Bob Hoffman, I think we're out his welcome for other things than maybe winning or losing, if you know what I mean. And if you're a Buck fan, you love to yell at him, you know what I'm talking about. But either way, well – you know, I digress a little bit. But for Greg Gary, let's look at his schedule. They're going to they're gonna take uh, on East Carolina on the road. to will play Milligan at Georgia State, Winthrop, Florida State, Robert Morris, Fairfield, Townsend, all great names, Kennesaw State. Then they will get Middle Georgia State at Florida Gulf Coast, Moorhead State, Troy. So I love loved schedule. Greg Gary's done a great job mixing some home and away. Uh, they'll be in Savannah, Georgia for three games in a round robin with Robert Morris, Fairfield, Townsend. I think that's an awesome tournament. Again, some familiar names are going to play a few Southern Conference teams uh, in Winthrop, um, and then former A-Sun foes that they've played: Kennesaw State, Florida Gulf Coast on the schedule. They also get Morehead State, like ETSU does, and then they open up um, conference play right out of the chute: Samford, Chattanooga, Wofford. I think those three games will be testing them, and then they get Western Carolina, and they got Furman, ETSU. So if they can, you know, if they come out of the first five, six games, three and three, four and two. Then they get VMI, maybe five and two before they get UNCG. I think certainly Mercer could get off to a good start. They could also get off to a a poor start and see how that dictates the rest of their season. So that's sort of my take on the rest of the second tier. Now we go to tier three, and I'm going to start with Western Carolina first and and Coach Justin Gray. And, you know, they got off to a – pretty good start last year and then kind of tapered off they did finally break the long string of losing ETSU they got over that um, in Culloway they still haven't been ETSU since I don't know 91 or something inside uh, or in Johnson City so that'll be a while but again it's another roster that is just made over and besides a couple of names um, like Tyler Harris I mean it's it's a lot of – I've got to learn a lot of new people. And they have a few back. Gilmore is back. Marlowe Gilmore. Uh, Vontaris Woolbright's back. Uh, again, Tyler Harris is back. So, there's a lot of names that are back. There are also a lot of new names. And so, not sure about the roster. They didn't particularly have a strong year last year. So, I didn't want to – I don't think I'm venturing out by saying, you know, finishing eighth, ninth, or tenth is probably – on point for Western Carolina. And they're going to open up with Georgia and Maryland to start the year. Then a non-D1, McNeese State, Lamar, another non-D1, UNCA. And I like this part of the schedule for them. UNCA, Gardner-Webb, USC Upstate. And they get Davidson, the non-D1 in Brevard, Tennessee Tech. So I think that's a great kind of middle part after a rough first part of the season. And then for them, all these are going to be tough. Furman to start. Actually, I'm sorry, UNCG to start, then Furman at ETSU, which won in like 20,000 days. Then they got Mercer, Chattanooga before they get the Citadel. So, again, could be a 0-5 start to conference play. They're able to pick up three of those, go like three and two. Certainly I think that would be a win uh, for Coach Gray and can get them going in the right direction. So, um, I just – it's going to be tough. A, a lot. I mean, I think the style of play – Young coach, you know, played at Wake Forest, played for some talented coaches, played with some talented teammates. Got to get the coaching side of it kind of down. Citadel, speaking of new coaches, kind of uh, a run-up back, if you will, for Ed Conroy. So his second stint as the head coach of the Citadel had great success. Um, Probably, I believe, it's the most success out of any – off the top of my head, I believe he's the most successful coach that the Citadel's ever had. So bringing him back is a no-brainer. He does have some familiar faces. Stephen Clark, Reeve Fitzgibbons is back. Um, Brady Spence is back. And then Cole Alexander. They've got a, you know, got some freshmen coming in, got a couple grad transfers. Now, this is where I think it's interesting because you can get, get uh, grad transfers to commit to you. And they got five of them. And so that's why I'd be curious to see. I don't you know, I think they're still gonna be in the bottom. But Citadel could be sneaky good for the simple reason. They got a new name grad transfer and Elijah Morgan. They got one out of Colgate, David Menard. They got uh, one out of Iowa, and, uh, Austin Ash. And oh, what am I missing? South Carolina, Mike Green. And then at a high point, John Michael Hughes. So all those kind of mixed in uh, with some of the guys they got coming back. And with Ed Conroy, who had some success there, they could potentially, be, you know, they're not going to contend to win a championship. So nobody, get, you know, lose their mind when I say they could potentially be better than what people are predicting because you're not sure how that's going to work. But if you have to choose, of, well, you can't grad transfer to Wofford. You can't grad transfer to VMI, and Furman only has a couple of graduate programs, so it's tough to grad transfer there as well. So Citadel does have an advantage. You don't have to wear the uniform. And you get to sit on the beach in Charleston and take online classes or maybe somewhere in person. Either way, it's going to be very easy, I think, for Citadel to convince people to go stay with them and not have to put on the uniform and do all the military obligation stuff. So, uh, for Citadel, Clemson, Presbyterian, and Butler, They're uh, besides the non-D1s, that's their first three uh, Division I games. And they're at New Orleans. They're going to take on Denver, IUPUI. Charleston Southern, College Charleston makes sense. They're all right there. Why not play each other? They do. Then they're at North Carolina. They got Longwood, North Carolina Central before they open up league play, which sounds just absolutely brutal. At Chattanooga versus Samford at Furman, first three. Just bam, 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 top three teams, I think, in the league. Then at Wofford, then they got ETSU. Then, as mentioned earlier, West Carolina, they play Western Carolina. So, that's just uh, tough, I think, once they get into league play, even if they had some success – elsewhere I think it's very easy for uh, them to get beaten up uh, early on in the conference play so our last look will be at VMI and our third tier and Andrew Wilson in his first year at the helmet he's going to have some names that people are familiar with um, Lewis Tang is still back Cooper Cisco, Tanner Manns Sean Conway who I thought turned into a very good shooter uh, at times, and DJ Nussbaum. A post player, it's going to see a lot more action. And then, again, it's tough to get. They did get a transfer or two in, but it, it, it's tough. A lot of the guys are going to be freshmen and newcomers. I mean, you look at that, the, the roster, they've got seven freshmen that are coming in. And so uh, it's, just, it's just tough to tell. Um, just because there's not a lot to go on with Andrew Wilson, at least with Conroy, he was there before, and so you' familiar with everything, kind of, kind of know. Obviously, it's not the full roster he would put together, but he does have five grad transfers, so I think he's potentially got a chance uh, to be better near one than VMI. So VMI is going to open up at Richmond, then they're going to take on Penn State, New Kingston, which is a non D one. They got Davidson, Longwood, SAU, Edwardsville, Fairleigh, Dickinson, and it's another non d one Presbyterian. Then they've got Navy, uh, another non d one so They got 4 non 9D1s as well Radford, American, Fordham. Then they open up league play at Furman, ETSU, at Sanford, at Chat, and then UNCG, at Wofford, Mercer. <laughs> I mean, it just sounds brutal if you are a fan of VMI. So, um, that is a look at my breakdown of the men's basketball uh, for the Southern Conference, it's kind of my first tier, my second tier, my third tier. I'm going to go over the preseason All-Southern Conference team as voted on by the coaches. They went in you know, order of how the school is sort of spelled out. So Jordan King, Mike Bothwell, Jalen Slauson. Uh, so e- King of ETSU, Bothwell, of Furman, Diane Glover, and Jermaine Marshall Jr. of Sanford to go with newcomer Baba Parham, who was an all-league player before he left to go to Georgia Tech, Jake Stevens of Chattanooga, Messiah Jones, B.J. McAwafford, All of those sound worthy to me. Nobody seemed um, out of place. I'm sure I could go down a roster and find somebody. I mean, you could possibly. But if you're going off last year, I don't know that Keyshawn Langley is good enough yet, but he could have – a year that possibly could put him in kind of that talk. Uh, But, again, I don't think there was an egregious – somebody's on there egregiously or an egregious error if somebody left off. And, again, preseason player of the year, um, the coaches vote on it. They said Jake Stevens. Again, I think you could go with Mike Bothwell. I mean, honestly, if you gave a couple votes to Quez Glover, I think probably Bothwell and Stevens. Well, I know they were my one-two. And I went with Bothwell. Can't argue, Really jake stevens um as one as well so all right so let's look at my deep dive on the men's basketball uh right now i'm gonna go ahead and go knock on the door and let jordan king know he can come in and we'll have our chat with the king of court jordan king
2: and if somebody asks you just go and tell them that i am the king K-J-I-N-G-O-K. that means i'm the one in charge of all
0: right, you heard the intro music. If you're not following this podcast or you don't know who that is, I'm taking your Buck fan card away. As we're going to talk to Jordan King, the only preseason selection for ETSU on the Southern Conference. And first of all, what does that mean to you to get uh, sort of accolades from the rest of the coaches around the league to be one of ten members chosen to the All Conference team?
1: I mean, it's an honor. You know, it it shows that all your hard work is is paying off. Um, I definitely put time in the gym to uh, really get better and focus on my game. So it's definitely an honor to uh, to be selected on a you know a great list with other guys from around the conference.
0: All right. That being said, you're on the list. Who else, if you were to put somebody on the list from your squad, should be on it?
1: Uh, we have a lot of great guys on our team. Um, I think the two names that stand out for me would be Jalen Haynes, uh, the transfer from Virginia Tech, who not a lot of many people saw him play a game in college basketball yet. But, you know, just based off practices and uh, scrimmages, I think he could definitely be an all so player. And another player, what I, I would say, is DeAnthony Tipler. Uh, he's a transfer from Coastal. He was actually averaging double figures at coastal carolina i think it was like around 15 points 14 points and he's really good for us too and i think he's an all-conference player that could definitely be on that list at the end of the year
0: all right so some some of the new faces let's talk about um and there's other new guys we can get to in just a second but talk about the returners and you guys sort of year two coach oliver um um kind of what has gelled maybe for you guys or what is different for you guys or is there anything different just kind of growing in the system?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest difference from this year to last year would be the connection within the team. You know, we're all hanging out after, you know, practices, making sure everyone's good. We're all communicating with each other. The connection on the court is definitely getting there just because we're connecting more off the court. Um... I would say for the returners like me, Jaden Seymour, Alan Shothers, we're more co- comfortable with coaches, you know, play style. So we know what he's expecting of us and, and what we got to do in order to win games.
0: So you guys able to kind of understand, able to go. Obviously, you got uh, two uh, new assistant coaches. Uh, Vince Martin's joining us, Joe Hughley has joined the staff. Just talk about those two guys and what maybe they bring to the table
1: well starting with joe hoogley everyone's a big fan of joe hoogley if you're a buck fan so you know it's great to have him around uh he was part of the the 2020 uh, socon championship team um he provides a lot you know he's on us every day making sure that we're in the right spots making sure that we're going hard because he knows what it went what it uh feels like to win a championship and he just wants to make sure that we win one uh with vince vince comes from jacksonville vince has also led his Jacksonville team, even though they weren't picked that high in the A-Sun, to a championship game. So he knows what it takes to get there as well. So I think both of them together are definitely gonna help us, you know, get to that championship level with this team.
0: You know, you're getting old um, when I called those games that Vince played against ETSU. That's that's how I know I'm getting old. No way, yeah. Able to watch those and now those guys, Coach, obviously Hughley, uh, Joe's not that old and, and just a few years removed from but it's funny when I heard his name, I was like, That guy that guy played at Jacksonville, I'm pretty sure. And mm-hmm. I had to look it up and sure enough he was on the twenty ten and uh, we we reminisced over some of those games back then and he knows how good and I'm sure he's talked to you guys about it, how good the tradition is at ETSU. It's easy for you guys to see Gordon Ball, you see the, the banners hanging. I think it's interesting with the, the TBT and, and the basketball tournament that has just evolved over the last, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years, whatever it's been but how ETSU the last few years has been able to get a team together and you guys have been able to interact with some of the greats. Yeah. I had the pleasure of sitting next to and watching you guys work out in the summer uh, with Courtney Perigam, who's the second all-time lead scorer in ETSU history. TJ Cromer was a 1,200-point scorer in just two years at ETSU. Both those guys led teams to tournaments and then they also made it a point to kind of talk to you guys. How much interaction did you have with sort of the older generation and what did you take with your interaction from those guys because They had interaction with the Keith Jennings, and that's the one thing I enjoy about ETSU's tradition that I've talked to other schools that I don't think they have as much of is the fact of the camaraderie from guys, let's say, that played in the early 80s or late 80s, early 90s that kind of um, did a nice job of connecting with really the the mid-2000 teams and, you know, Courtney's team 2009 2010. Uh, and then Courtney's teams and TJ's teams, that was, you know, sort of mid-2015s and Courtney was, like I just mentioned, 0910. He's now trying to pay it forward in 2022. Just talk about uh, that relationship or just being able to have guys like that at that level kind of speak to you about not just the program, but sometimes they're just talking hoops with you.
1: Yeah. Uh, Well, starting with the banners, practicing in Gordon Ball every day, we see that, you know, ETSU has a tradition of, of winning games and winning championships so we're definitely trying to get ETSU back up to that standard uh, because it hasn't been there for the past two years so we need to definitely you know lock in so that we can put another banner in that gym uh, but just with the interactions with those guys they're really good at coming back and you know teaching us things and you know letting us know like what it takes I, I get advice from them all the time when they're here over the summer Uh, you know just trying to like pick their brain about what it takes you know to get to their level because a lot of them are playing professional basketball and you know that's one of my dreams and goals so I definitely pick their brain on you know what it takes to get there
0: and you know Courtney asked me one of the questions he was like who's the who's the connection to the fans and for Courtney's team he was one of those guys for T.J. he was one of those guys obviously AJ Merriweather uh, maybe slightly above T.J. but both those guys had a Relation with the fans, and and I was like right there, you know, number two where you were shooting. I said that that's the guy right now the the, the fans kind of clamor to, and I said and and I looked at both of them. I said this is no disrespect to you guys, but our fans love little guards, and, and there's just there's nothing wrong with it. The best yeah. player in the history of the school was five foot six, and I know Keith, if you're listening, I'm I'm sorry I didn't say five seven, but he's <laughs> five foot six, and uh, you know you look at the all-time leading scorer Tim Smith was five nine. The second leading scorer is Courtney, who's six foot. Six one, maybe on a good day. I think he's probably six foot. Maybe 5'11". Yeah, I'm right there. I'm TJ for sure. <laughs> so, all those guys there. And so, you know, they kind of took pride, and they're like, oh, man. Like, there was something about that that when I mentioned the connection of the fans was a guard and a guard that could score, they lit up because they certainly were great shooters and stuff. They pride themselves on probably what people didn't understand was defensively. And so, they were like, hey, we got to talk to him about, you know, hey, anybody can score. And, you know, we work hard at it. We're proud at it but how is he on the defensive end? Is he that dog that can shut him down? Or is he that vocal leader that can take sort of the reins there defensively? You're now year two in the system. How do you feel you handle not just defense guarding your man, but helping everybody else get in the right position defensively?
1: I'm definitely improving. Uh, And it's funny that you mentioned that uh, uh, Pilgrim uh, talking about defense, because I remember he came to one practice in the summer. And I think I was having like a really good offensive practice and you know just hitting shots and there was one possession where to win the game win like the the part of practice uh my man blows right by me and gets the layup and he pulls me to the side after and he goes yeah you did all that great offensive stuff but you can't get a stop on defense and you know that I kind of took that to heart because you know I got to be better on the defensive side
0: game on the line I remember the play uh, yeah. Was it uh, uh, was it justice?
1: Uh, yeah, it was. <laughs> justice went right by me <laughs> and, so, and scored a layup. And, that, yeah, and it definitely hurt because you know I thought I was I was doing pretty good that practice, and then somebody's really watching and and they tell you all the things you did wrong. And you're like, wow, I can really get better in that area.
0: Yeah, and it was because I was in between him and TJ when when that play happened, and so that, that's what was funny was to, to see the levels. Like, hey, you know, you can shoot whatever, but eventually you've got to win a game because you got to make a stop. Right. And, and and that was sort of their thing is like. You take all the prod on the offensive end but what a lot of people I think it lost and even D'Amico Childress who runs instant replay mm-hmm. and I give Miko a hard time about defense but he was really an underrated defensive player as well and I think that's what it comes down to and if you look at your results last year you look at all those tight games sometimes it came down to mm-hmm. did we get that stop right. and last year particularly didn't always get that stop so that's got to be a, a challenge speaking of Last year, you, you lose uh you know you lose the Brewer brothers, you lose David Sloan. There's a lot of guard play there. It means there's going to be a lot of positions open up to the guards. Break down the guards and how you guys are kind of gelling in this. I know you just had one uh, close scrimmage you can't really talk about because mm-hmm. close scrimmage is not allowed to. And you'll get together on Friday. But how do you feel like the guards in general? Because that freed up especially with with Ladarius and with Sloan, that frees up a lot of playing time for the guards.
1: Yeah, most definitely. And. We had a great scrimmage. I, I know I can't say much about it. I just think we, we had a pretty good scrimmage. You know, it was a test for us just to see where we're at and what we're going to do this season. Uh, but just with the guard play, we have three of us. It's me, Allen, uh, D'Anthony, and Justice. So there's four of us really. And, you know, we're really like rotating off the ball. Sometimes I play the one, sometimes he plays the one, you know, it just rotates like that. But I think the best thing for us is that, you know, we can all play that position and it doesn't just have to be one of us we all find guys and put them in the right spots Uh, we can all run the offense Um, I think that's going to be the best thing for us because when other teams guards get tired we can just keep rotating our guards and you know and just make sure that we're fresh throughout the game so that we can finish games this year
0: and you certainly get a chance to see Jaden Seymour play a little bit more of a wing Uh, Justice is going to be out there on a wing but He's able, Seymour's able to do that where he unfortunately had to play the five for you last (laughs) year where he's not. Now you've got some big body guys and you've already mentioned um, uh, Hayes is one of them. Talk about uh, some of the other post guys and get our fans familiar with what they can bring to the table.
1: Well, we also have Brock Jancic, who's a transfer from University of Tennessee. Uh, Brock is just a really hard worker and he does whatever it takes to win games. You know, He's not really into his stats at all. He's all about what can I do to make sure that we win this game uh... we also have Braden Illick. uh... if you guys came to buck madness you guys saw him won the three-point competition he finally he beat me uh... you know he talked a lot of smack after but uh... as he should have I, I have to take it on the chin but um... uh... he can really shoot the ball he's gonna be really good for us uh... he's just a freshman so he's learning but he's definitely gonna be a really good player here at etsu uh, we also have josh taylor uh... josh transferred from georgia um, you know this is his first time playing division one basketball really but josh looks so comfortable you know he looks like he's been here before uh he plays so hard he he, he just tries to get every rebound i mean he's six nine he's lengthy he can really jump over anybody to get a rebound and, and you know and that's like his biggest aspect and he's also going to be really good on the defensive end i think he could probably be close to not if not a uh, defensive player of the year just because of his length and and he's really good on defense
0: seems like looking at the the voting, there was a distinct three tiers uh, as far as uh, preseason, which teams picked to win or do well or whatever the preseason ranking polls. Furman, Sanford UNCG, chat were pretty much head and shoulders if you look at the vote totals, one through four. now they varied on where they were one through four, but one through four. Then the middle of the pack was all within on the coaches one point of each other voting-wise. Wofford, ETSU, Mercer, Mm -hmm. and then even in the media it was similar. Wofford, ETSU, Mercer kind of right there. And then the bottom three were Western and the Military Academy, Citadel and VMI. Been a long time since ETSU has been picked uh, this low in the preseason poll. How, when you saw that, did that make you feel, your team feel, and then how can you use that as motivation?
1: Definitely use it as motivation because, you know, as, as a team, when you see the the rankings of the preseason SOCOM poll and stuff like that, you, you never want to be that low because then guys don't think highly of you. And they probably think that you're going to be one of the worst teams, not one of the worst teams in the conference, but just going to have a, an off year. I think we should definitely use it as motivation to show everybody that I don't think we're that low. You know, preseasons is just preseason, just like, you know, the all-conference team. You could, as someone on that list, could always have a bad year, including myself, you know, so you can't really take it to heart. I feel like you just got to go out there, try to win every game, and just play to the best of your ability to, you know, change what they thought in the preseason and make it happen at the end of the season.
0: Talking with Jordan King here on the Jay and Keith podcast is our ETSU men's basketball preview and Southern Conference preview show, uh, getting you ready for the Friday night exhibition game. What's it going to be like Friday night? Uh, you get a chance to get out on the court and you know, be in front of the home fans, new look squad, obviously, you know, five, six guys back, obviously adding, you know, what, seven, eight new guys. But what's going to be like to, to get out there and let fans see what you've been working on in the offseason?
1: Oh, it's going to be great. I know all the guys are excited, uh, especially me. I've been waiting for this moment since the last game we had in March, uh, just ready for the season to start. Um Everyone's going to get a different look at us and and what this team provides and, you know, how good we think we can be this year. Uh, I'm excited for the fans to come out uh, and just see us. Um, I just think it's going to be a great game. I think everyone should be there. You're definitely going to get a different look than the open scrimmage on uh, October. I I think it was last Saturday, two Saturdays ago. You're going to get a different look because it's not going to be 1030 in the morning where we're all just, you know, getting the crust out of our eyes. We're going to be ready to go and ready to play hard.
0: All right, so Keith started a new tradition when he had Rodney Wright on where a player that we interview is going to ask, he doesn't know which player, doesn't know what team, doesn't know who it is, and you're going to ask uh, here in a second, you're going to give me a question to ask another player that you don't know who it's going to be and what sport it's going to be. But Rodney Wright wants to know, what is your most embarrassing thing that's happened to you in a game?
1: As a player, you think everything that you do is embarrassing. You know? You you turn the ball over, you're embarrassed. But uh, I think the, the most embarrassing thing would probably be when I was in high school. Uh, it's my JV year. It's a sold-out crowd uh, because they were getting prepared for the varsity game. It was a big-time game for us. Um, but I get a steal in the half court, and nobody is near me. And I'm just thinking, oh, this is, you know, an, an easy layup. I end up, the nerves start getting to me a little bit. I end up tripping over the back of my foot and mm. turning and losing the ball out of bounds instead of getting two points. While everybody is watching me and I just put my head down and go back on defense because I was just laughing at myself.
0: But you, did, but you didn't go to the ground. You didn't fall. You just stumbled. Yeah, I just stumbled, just and, stumbled.
1: and lost the ball out of bounds, and everyone just thought I was going to have an easy layup, and then I ended up doing that, and it was just—I think that's probably the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened.
0: Well, at least you didn't go for the fake hamstring injury, right? Or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh yeah, I got to kind of tighten up here, Coach. right? It's, right. It's, it's, check me out for a second, yeah. <laughs> Which we've all seen happen before. No, most definitely. All right. So, what's the question you want to? Uh, again, you don't know who it's going to go to. The the next athlete's going to have to ask. What do you want to ask them?
1: um i'm gonna say what's your favorite moment from the sport that you played at any time in your life
0: favorite moment in the sport you play anytime all right we'll get it all right jordan we appreciate the time buddy i i know uh covering you know i'll be on the road with you everywhere we go can't wait for some of those and it's kind of excited for the uh tournament in Asheville because that'll give fans uh, a it's an easy ride up on a friday sunday but also another couple times uh, to get games in and a place where the Southern Conference tournament is going to uh, take shape. But we'll see you Friday, man. Good luck to the season. We'll talk to you later.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Ah,
0: an hour in, baby. I got more to go because we got to talk Southern Conference women's basketball. Football. Huge thanks to Jordan King, and man, we had a good time uh, chatting there. I actually, uh, stopped the podcast just for a minute so we could talk a little bit about some stuff off air. Got some good info I can use uh, for my broadcast coming up on Friday. Let's transition, though, because Coach uh, Brenda Mock-Brown, Coach Mock, will be by here, and we'll talk a little women's basketball. And, uh, you know, we got to do that Southern Conference as well. I think this is going to be an interesting year. I think it's Tier 1 Mercer. <laughs> and then I think there's Tier 2 Two through seven, and then tier three, which is West Carolina on the women's side. So, I mean, I i mean, maybe Wofford Furman, Sanford. I'm curious what to do there. All right, let's just jump into it. All right, I think it starts with Susie Gardner and Mercer. They have been the best of the best. You look at last year, uh, obviously, Amari and Neil Tyser. Uh, The preseason play of the year is back again as a graduate student, gets that extra year, and she is going to take full advantage of it. Uh, Jaron Doherty also there. No Shannon Titus. That's maybe the one loss you can look at. it. Aaron Hopps is back. I mean, they've got four, six, eight, uh, just eight, nine, ten players there that you can just rattle off that are going to be very, very good. They're going to contend. But when you look at Neil Tyser and Doherty, I think that is by far a one two punch that can score, score in bunches, do a bunch of things. I think Titus did a all around, you know, rebounding, transition, defense, some other things. Uh, hopped obviously can distribute, but Mercer is going to be really, really, really good. Uh, look at their schedule. I'm probably going to go in-depth as I did last time because people can look up the schedule, but I do think there are some interesting key matchups. I think the matchup at Wake Forest is going to be big. They also get Colorado State. They got Texas Tech and Las Vegas. Um, so a couple of games there, they get Alabama. I like the home and home of Florida Gulf Coast. In December 21st, they will host Florida Gulf Coast and they'll go down to Florida Gulf Coast. If you know anything about women's basketball, that's one of the better-been major programs out there. And then they open up league play against UNCG, Western Carolina, then at ETSU at Chattanooga before they got Sanford Wofford. So, again, not having the military schools, only having the eight teams, so 14 conference games. I think it's a lot more congested sometimes uh, having less conference games. But I like the way that Mercer is sitting and by far I think the team to beat in the Southern Conference. Now – Wofford, the surprise team last year. Didn't know exactly what they were going to be, but they were really good. And it was all said and done. Now, they do lose Jamari McDavid, and that is it. That is the only player they lost off the roster. So, that's why I voted them, too. I think that's why everybody else voted them, too. You got Lily Hatton back. Jackie Carman is back, who loved to watch. Nia Lutz is back. Um, Harris, uh, Crawford, Matthews go down the list. You know, they added a couple of new pieces and freshmen coming in. Uh, you look at the um, schedule for Wofford and yeah, the College of Charleston, they got North Carolina State, Townsend at Florida. Some good matchups, I think, You especially men majors I love, UNCA, High Point, Coastal Carolina, uh, all of that. They'll play Clemson. Then they open up league play, Western Carolina, UNCG, Furman, and then at Sanford Mercer swing, which is just brutal they'll make that January 20th and 22nd. So I think, you know, as far as uh, Jimmy Garrity in his sixth season, really kind of turned things around. He's got a lot of things kind of moving in the right direction. Do I think they're good enough yet to unseat Mercer? No, but I think they have maybe the most pieces to do so. And then there are arch rivals right behind them in the Furman Paladins and Jackie Carson. I like think everybody knows I love Jackie from time she was a player to dealing with her as the head coach now. Um, always used to kind of give her a hard time that she's always 500. She's always going to be fourth or fifth in the league. She finished above that last year. I think she's got a shot to finish above that again. Um, I think mainly because uh, Grace Fenry, the six-foot-two um, center from uh, Bearden High School out of Knoxville, and they do a very good job of recruiting that, that Knoxville – well, really uh, – Knoxville, Nashville. I got a couple of Knoxville. Last year I had two Nashville. Now down to one Nashville uh, on the roster. But they do a nice job there uh, of the recruiting. You look at um, – I think I just deleted what I was about to talk about. That's okay. We'll play through. Um, I knew that. But, all right, so Tate Walters is another one um, that I think is a solid returner. But they lost – pot. well, they lost the player of the year and the most – Ridiculous stats of anybody in Tierra Hodges. I mean, she averaged uh, 12 points a game. I'm sorry, that's rebounding. She averaged 18 points a game. 12 rebounds. A double-double machine. Broke Jackie Carson's double-double record. Just an outstanding season all the way around. You got Janae Otten, uh, who's a guard that I thought could pick up some valuable minutes. Sydney James also played well. So, I think uh, Jade Sessions also there. So, I this is going to be a good team. I think the inside out, really, of Walters, Otten, and then the that's the outside. Then you go to the inside and Grace Van Rye, and I think Jackie Carson has got her team set up to have a very good year. Then they'll play uh, schedule-wise at Presbyterian, Garden webb at Stetson, they got Florida, uh, Georgia's on the schedule. Again, UNCA, Coast Carolina, Kansas State, all these games make sense. Radford, Georgia Tech, South Carolina State. Then again, league play. It's at Wofford three straight road games at Wofford the arch rival at UNCG at Western Carolina before ETSU Chattanooga and then they'll first into the round robin at Sanford at Mercer for Jackie Carson and her t- team now for Carly Coons, who uh last couple years uh, has been kind of battling Mercer for that top spot you know right now got them fourth uh on at least my list um Uh, for where they are going to rank. Now, they got Andrea Cornoyer back, who is one of the best players in the league. You could always argue she was kind of up there for preseason. uh, Actually, she was, right? Uh, No, she was behind Neil Tyser for preseason player of the year. She probably finished second. If I had to vote for anybody, I did not vote in the women's poll this year, mainly because I didn't turn it in on time. But I would have probably put uh, Cornoyer second on that list, I think Susie Ngulafak, uh, the six foot three sophomore, was outstanding last year. So the top two scores are back. I think there was some time where uh, Sanford really struggled to shoot the basketballs, specifically from outside. So we'll see if they can kind of correct that uh, for Carly Kuntz in year number four for her. And as far as their schedule goes, uh, Troy, Vanderbilt, Tennessee Tech, Alabama A and and they got a couple non D ones. Then they're going to play Central Florida, Rhode Island, Jacksonville State, Southern Miss. they got Nebraska on the schedule, Auburn. And then they get the league play, Western Carolina, UNCG, at Chattanooga, at ETSU before they take on Mercer, then Furman Wofford. So that's pretty much a, a brutal stretch. They can open up maybe with a couple wins. You get Western, get UNCG, and then, you know, at Chattanooga, ETSU, maybe not that taxing, but three in a row at Mercer, Furman, Wofford, certainly – Will be challenging for, I think, uh, the Sanford Bulldogs. Now, for Chattanooga, and they were kind of the cream of the crop for many, many years uh, in the Southern Conference. And so this is kind of unusual territory for them, not being, you know, the predominantly best team in the league. And they still got, it's another one of those, they've got great names, recognition, and people that are back for. Sean Poppy is the new head coach at uh, Chattanooga, and we'll see what he brings uh, to the table. But Abby Cornelius, I mean, I think that's a name that just never goes away. In her senior season, it seems like finally. Um, and then um, Olstadter, you know, five foot nine sophomore from Iceland, I thought plays on the Icelandic team. I thought she would be able to, to add more um, to what maybe they were getting. That is not necessarily kind of panned out that way. Um, I mean, you look at last year, it was Cornelius and it was uh, Dina Jarls who was not there. Brooke Campbell's not there. Now, uh, Mari Pugh is. So, their fourth-leading scorer is back. Old Star was the fifth-leading scorer, and then they got to they got to find some new pieces. So, for Chattanooga, you know, new coach, new system maybe. We'll see kind of how that plays out. They're going to open up uh, at Belmont and other solid women's basketball program. And then kind of a good mix of that Ohio Valley swing through the state of Tennessee – Belmont, Austin Peay, Tennessee State, Murray State. Then they got Kennesaw State, UNCA, uh, Georgia State. Then they get into Alabama, Tennessee. They'll get Marshall and Ohio on the schedule. They get into league play. It's ETSU off the bat. Then Sanford, Mercer, Wofford, Furman. So, you know, when you have less less games, all those seem to be uh, very important and very quickly on your schedule. You've got to be ready to play in the Southern Conference because a couple of losses could quickly put you behind the eight ball. And you look at ETSU, and, you know, it's it's one of those rosters Mock McBrown inherited she was hired late. We're going to talk to her about all this in a minute, so I'm probably not going to go in-depth on uh, the roster so much because we're going to talk about some things. But for Courtney Moore and Jakiah Davis, so be their third-year, third head coach. I think that, that says a lot. I think Sarah Thompson in her sophomore season, um, Aliyah Vananda, uh, Malia Kirtner, all those, but really for Vananda and Thompson, they saw a lot of time. How are they going to kind of work with a lot of the, the new faces uh, for this ETSU women's basketball team and their roster? Uh, but, again, uh, the recruiting was kind of already done. We'll see how that meshes. we we'll ask Coach Brown, how does that mesh with her system? Are these players going to fit that? Is it going to be a square peg around hole? Or are you just going to try to get by with a year? So, we'll ask her all those questions here uh, in just a few minutes. You look at the schedule. They're going to open up with the defending national champion, South Carolina Gamecocks at St. Bonaventure at Lafayette uh, before the first uh, real home game. And they do have a Thursday night exhibition game against Mars Hill, but they'll take on Jacksonville State Morehead Moorhead State. They'll fly to Vegas for a tournament. They'll open up with George Washington. Come back home for three good ones at home. Uh, Vanderbilt, 91, then Bowling Green. Then they'll go to Charleston Southern at UNCA. They got Longwood. Then they got Mount St. Mary's and the Cherokee. uh, Harris Cherokee. Not the center in Asheville but actually the casino in Cherokee, North Carolina. They'll play Mount St. Mary's there. They'll get one non-D1 game before they start league action. Chattanooga, Mercer, Sanford at Furman at Wofford before they play. West Carolina UNCG. So they will play the teams that were the first five teams picked above them in the polls. They will play the first five conference games. So that takes us to U N C G, and this is a roster and a team that I could not figure out last year. I'll be honest, I'm not. I don't know if I'm going to figure it out this year either. I think Trina Patterson, who's been the two-time coach of the year, every time it seems like they're kind of picked really high. They don't do so well, but every year you kind of think, well, they're going to not be very good, and we're going to, you know, rank them low. They always outshine, so even though they're picked seventh, this is a team that wouldn't shock me if they finished second or third. I mean, Cleese Kane, I think coming off that uh, injury last year, played well. Isis Grady's another one that could play. Um, I mean, they got – they just had – like a lot of the women's teams in the Southern Conference, it seems like they really have a hard time scoring, just averaging 54 points. I mean, they they did lose uh, Aja Boyd. Um, you know, I think they lost Brown. Yeah, they did. They lost Brown as well. For some reason, I had on my notes she was here and or back. CeCe Crudup gone. Um, no Sorensen. So there's a lot off that mix. I, I mean, I like Kane down low. I like Grady. I think they certainly both those ladies can score. There's a lot of questions at the guard position. Uh, who's going to be able to step up and, and take the shots? Uh, and, and really, for a team that was anemic, offensively last year, who's going to be the one to step up uh, and knock down shots. I mean, Sorensen was a leading three-point shooter last year, and she hit 32 threes. The next leading three-point shooter was Nia Howard, who's still on the team. She hit 23. That's not a uh, – some teams have like five people hitting 23. So, it'll be curious to see their schedule. Gardner, Webb, Bradford, Elon, Upstate, went through Presbyterian, Kentucky, uh, Davidson, Stetson, Florida, a couple non D ones. And then they open up league play at Mercer, at Sanford, Furman, Wofford. Again, four tough games to open up the season uh, for the UNCG Spartans, who will play their game in Fleming Gym. For the Western Carolina Catamounts, and this was a team that I predicted and was very wrong that they were going to be able uh, to step up and really grow. Um, from what they did the previous season, where it looked like they were out of the cellar, there were you know Kylie Hill had them kind of moving in the right direction, and then it just uh, it didn't go that way. 0 14 in league play, just seven wins overall, and I, there's there's nothing. I uh, mean, he's brought in some uh, Kylie Hill's brought in some new people, but nothing jumps out. It says they're going to get out of the bottom of the bunch. And let's just go straight to their schedule. West Carolina will be at Sanford at Mercer. they got Wofford Furman and then their uh, UNCG before ETSU and uh, Chattanooga. So that's a look at that, the all-conference selections. Uh, We mentioned the coaches voted uh, Neil Tyser, the player of the year, for Mercer, Van Rye for Furman, Walters Furman, Doherty, Mercer, Hopped, Mercer, Neil Tyser, obviously. Grady, UNCG, Cornoyer, Sanford, uh, and Fact for Sanford, Cornelius at Chattanooga, Carmen at Wofford, Hatton at Wofford as well. Since I mentioned all those names earlier, uh, should have been familiar. I don't think they're kind of racking the top of my brain. I don't think they left anybody out again egregiously because there are more than ten names on that list. So, once you get past that, it, to me, it's, uh, you know, flipping a quarter. But that being said – That's my breakdown. No Keith. Again, Keith in Fargo, so I'm having to do this by myself. But it's all right. He's going to come back. Uh, He's going to move his down. He's bought him a house. He's here to stay in the Tri-Cities, and he'll be uh, providing all the play for women's basketball. We'll be breaking down Southern Conference men's and women's action for you every week as we move forward with the Jay and Keith show. But coming up next, we're going to talk to the head women's basketball coach here at ETSU. We're going to welcome in, first time to the podcast, Brenda Mock-Brown, the head coach of your ETSU women's basketball team. As promised, the head coach, ETSU women's basketball, Brenda Mock-Brown. Coach Mock, let's talk about this. Um, Last time I think I talked to you, you'd been on the job uh, just, I don't know, a day an hour whatever it was it seemed like it was right out of the press conference maybe I'm not sure but now you've had time and this was a unique situation so I want to start there because just the timing of the hire kind of everything in place first job recruit the coaches second job recruit the players or maybe that was backwards either way so I might talk about that kind of aspect and this being the unique challenge that it was when you took the job
2: sure uh, Jay like unprecedented circumstances right uh and I think I was recruiting the players and the coaches all at the same time on on August 8th 9th 10th and 11th that's really was my first priorities as I said in the press conference the the people in the program are my first priority and I want to back that up and in and in how I uh live out my life every day and interact with them and uh you know just they've been phenomenal people that's that's the first thing I'll say in this transition they welcomed me with open arms um not only are they great people, but they're very competent in terms of the staff. You know, a, a great competency. Um, they've recruited well. They're they're hard workers. And they're just a lot of fun to be around. You know, that's – I love coaching. I love competing. But I love interacting with people. And, you know, we spend a lot of time with each other. Uh, this is not a 9-to-5 job. And, and there's a lot, lot required. And so – Uh, it certainly enhances the experience when you love going to work uh, because you love the people you work with and we have certainly grown to love each other quickly and had to Um, you know the first priority is for us to be cohesive and we want that to trickle down and and really impact our players positively because we're really big on relationships and results getting those results through relationships and so we want to be cohesive as a staff so yes that has certainly been a priority but the second part of your question, what, what's what been going on, right? I mean, I haven't even been here for, let's see, I'm, I'm, I'm not even three months in. Um, November 8th, after our first game at South Carolina, I'll be three months in. So a lot's been going on, Jay. We've been, you know, obviously developing on the court. We've been recruiting uh, for the future, um, really trying to build team culture, doing a lot of activity with our team off the court. You know, we do something called Team Tuesdays where we have – uh, kind of a meeting, meet, meeting and eating at the Culp. <laughs> so we go over to the cafeteria. We get a, we get a room over there, and been taking the kids through a book called Mamba Mentality. You you, prob- you probably heard of Kobe Bryant.
0: Yes, yes, he he was he was he was kind of okay. He was kind of okay. Right.
2: Um, and what we're really trying to do with that, uh, Jay, part of what we've been doing in the past couple of months is addressing mindset individually. I mean, obviously, we want to develop team cohesive culture, but I want to speak to each player and get them thinking about mindset and I thought Kobe you know whether you like him or not um, in terms of his individual approach to the game as a competitor I don't think anybody's done it better Um, and so I think they're learning a lot about what a winning lifestyle looks on and off the court from that and uh, you know of course we've we've had a month of practice so again just like I said working on uh, implementing and installing our defensive and offensive schemes so there's just a lot been going on it's been a whirlwind Jay
0: want to get back to some schematics in a second, but uh, the one thing about Colby, and I think this is uh, something I think maybe you're tying is, the fact that he was really trying to grow the women's game and get it a lot more attention on it. And I think uh, me being a girl dad too and him having all girls, I believe. And so he really uh, was at the forefront where a lot of, I think, top-notch NBA players that maybe don't have girls or, or just weren't using it as a platform that he was using it as a platform very much to try to grow the game of women's basketball. So I think that's an interesting study as well, besides him being a great player and he always had that mentality of it, but the fact that he was trying to do a lot for particularly your sport.
2: Right, no, uh, amen, Jay. I mean, you know, a lot of respect and of course, uh, credibility from just him being a a phenomenal player, but then also his investment in women's basketball, uh, which is, you know, it's, it's it's an incredible game. Uh, you know there are there differences in men's and women's basketball. Yes, a lot of that is tr- attributed to the athleticism. You know the difference in the athletic ability. Obviously the girls aren't dunking, uh, but in terms of the schematics and the coaching and you know the student athletes that we have, um, yeah, I mean it's it's a worthy product. And of course we're working here at ETSU to make it a really worthy product because of course we want to co- we want people to come out and see us play, but we want to put something on the court that's worthy of of their time and energy. Um, And I can guarantee you these girls as individuals, they're worthy of it, and it's gonna give them more confidence and encouragement uh, to see those people in the stands. But I appreciate Kobe's investment in women's basketball, no doubt. And I think the girls, uh, because of that, um, pay a little closer attention to what he has to say in terms of his approach to the game.
0: Let's talk about uh, some schematics, because when you take over a program, and again, your situation unique aside, you still have a core group of players that particularly weren't uh, maybe necessarily recruited to your style, and I know this is a, a favorite question of mine to ask coaches. As a matter of fact, we talked a little bit about George Corals again last night, and he's nine weeks into the season, about trying to get you know systems, philosophies, all that going on. How is that – because I find that is an interesting balancing act because it's – trying to find out what your team's strengths and weaknesses are, I obviously accentuate the strengths, try to limit the weaknesses, but in the same token, trying to shape what the program would want to look like in the future under your tutelage. How challenging, this is not your first stop, so it's in your first go around with it, but how challenging is that and maybe more so for you because of the short time frame?
2: Sure. Well, fortunately, uh, and and they, of course, the staff had no idea, but they really recruited to my style of coaching. Uh, We are very guard oriented in terms of having guards that can attack, do multiple things, attack the basket. shoot the three, and then we we hope they can do all three, shoot the three, and then that third thing would be the mid-range game, uh, which is huge when you can come off a ball screen, read the help defense, and pop a jumper. But if they can at least do two of those three, I'm happy. Um, You know, I think we've got an athletic team, uh, again, capable guards – enough post play, you know, in Jaciah Davis, uh, Jayla Rufus Milner, and then, uh, of course, Ella Boyle coming off the bench as well, uh, Megan Downing, you know, we've got some size, uh, because you can't win a a Southern Conference championship without size, so we aren't just guard play, but we need guard play, you know, to run our ball screen offense, to run uh, a little bit of that, you know, attack and spread I don't want to give away all my schematics, but I doubt any of my opponents are listening to this. So, you know, running a little bit of that dribble drive and um, people who have been in the game since I've been coaching know the style of play, so that won't be a surprise. I mean, we want to get out and attack you um, in transition. Defensively, uh, I think we're capable when we're healthy. Uh, You know, getting all 14 back on the court will be key for us in order to kind of implement that style of play defensively where – you know, we're really aggressive on defense and generating points um, from that defense. So those things married well, Jay. Uh, I, I didn't receive this, inherit this roster and go, oh gosh, you know, I'm really going to have to change um, my philosophy and approach in terms of tactics basketball. Now, what I'll say, Jay, we're young. Um, nine freshmen and sophomores uh, those, that's classroom. And then, you know, in in terms of, of court, I think we're all freshmen and sophomores, uh, except two grad transfers that we have. So, you know, now that piece, um, you know, is going to attribute, attribute to what I hope will be a really well-oiled machine come January, February, but it's going to take some time, um, to develop the maturity level and approach and really, um, the standard of excellence. I think understanding that, like what it takes at the, this this level, that's been our biggest gap, honestly. I think we've got the athletes to compete. I think it's going to be the mentality that's going to need the most work in our program. You know, like I said, good kids, Jay, um, but we just got a lot to learn in terms of what it takes, the sacrifices, the commitment level it takes at this level to win a championship.
0: I think it's been very challenging for particularly maybe two players. You look at uh, Jakiah Davis uh, on her third coach in three years Courtney Moore is on her third coach in three years and you know even though they're listed as sophomores they got the COVID year you know they're sort of the older statesman but they've been through a lot and I know you look at Courtney very you know a leader last year um, you know went healthy expected to play a lot of minutes Ja'Kia Davis uh, has had spurts of spectacular offensive uh, game she's very skilled blocking shots now Um, She tends to sit on the bench uh, due to a lot of foul trouble, and I'm sure you've noticed that. If you haven't, you will soon. (laughs) But two of those ladies in particular, I think this has been a challenging time. And how do you balance sort of – I mean, I think that's a lot. Three head coaches in three years um, in a short period of time. And then them sticking with the program, and probably, and a lot of times you say, well, they want to be with their friends, and well, they're they're only two left. So it's really not that. It's either the love of the university, they like something about it. How do you kind of lean on those ladies and then try to help them through? Because, um, and, and we're hoping to talk to Courtney and Jakai as the season goes along, and I may ask them on a personal level that, but how do you as a coach try to keep those ladies? kind of involved uh, just because they've been through so much
2: yeah sure No, that's a great question uh you know a lot going on there's a complexity to this women's basketball uh team and program here at ETSU there's been a lot going on in the past three years and I'll speak to Jakiya first Jakiya uh I knew Recruited, brought her on campus at UNC Asheville. So she had a little smile on her face the first time uh, I walked down the stairs to meet the team, because at least for her, it's like whether whether she liked me or not, she knew me. <laughs> so it wasn't somebody, that, you know, a complete stranger. And, um, you know, Courtney, just a, a, a wonderful young lady. Both of those young ladies, because of who they are in terms of character and consistency, these are our two... Uh, Two of our most consistent players, I think, because of that, because of their maturity, because of their who they are as people, this transition uh, hopefully hasn't been as difficult. You know, because they're pretty steady. Um, throughout whatever circumstances are thrown at them. And so, and I've appreciated that, you know, the, that we're looking for, that's one of our core values is consistency. Uh, and I think those two, t- those two young ladies bring it to the table every day. And we led with compassion. I led with compassion, not only with the kids, but also with the staff. I know this was a tough situation for them. So there's a lot of, uh, you want to you reach the heart and coach the heart first. Jay, uh, it's not, they're not just athletes. There's a lot going on. It's not just this challenge of transition. I mean, you know, everything that's going on in today's world in terms of social media and the pressures that they're facing, (laughs) these kids uh, have a lot on their shoulders. And so, you know, I don't want to be that extra burden. You know, I want to be lifting that burden and helping them and and they can use me as a resource. Um, And so, you know, that's that's how I not only approach to and Courtney, but the whole team. You know, you got to love them first. Uh, push and, and then, you know, of course, coach them hard because you're not loving them well when you're not coaching them hard and helping them maximize their potential. That's my job, too. Uh, but you got to connect before you correct, or connect in this situation as as I'm correcting, because of course a lot the coaching and the work has to get done. You know, we don't have two three months to sit around and get to know each other. So, but I want to be doing those you know simultaneously, uh, c- connecting while correcting and coaching them. And um, yeah, I can't say enough about those two as as individuals.
0: You know, you're going to uh, exhibition game coming up on uh, Thursday. You got the opener against South Carolina if you were to throw out there a starting lineup do you have one yet or are, you, are you still working through that or you think you've got a five
2: we, we're working through it Jay but you know we had a, we had a division one scrimmage uh that we were pretty pleased with last Saturday uh, it was against a big south opponent that I've coached against for years and, and knew they'd be super disciplined and, and give us a handful and which they did but again I was encouraged um so we of course had a starting lineup going into that game and you know I think so many things are so fluid in our program we've got We've got injured players that are returning to the lineup. Um, we haven't had a consistent lineup since the day one of practice. And so I think a lot of that is fluid. I would hate to say, hey, yeah, this is my this is my starting five. And and again, you know, we we want to start the game well. Um, there is an emphasis on starting because I think that matters uh, in terms of how we, you know, set the tone in a game at the same time. That's that's doesn't you know we could have one of our better contributors coming off the bench. I mean it it just those things are are yet to be seen, and I think we we don't have a big enough sample set yet, Jay, to to say hey yeah this is our consistent starting five.
0: Let's talk just a little bit in in transition uh, as we're talking to uh, Brenda Mock Brown, the head coach, ETSU women's basketball here on the Jay and Key Show, our basketball preview edition. And you look at the coaches poll, ETSU picked sixth. You look at the media, they were picked seventh. Where I mean, that's about where you thought you would be, or did uh, did anything shock you as, as far as where you were?
2: I certainly didn't think we'd be picked first, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? That that's about right. I mean, look at look at where the standings were at the end of the year. You know, a lot of times coaches just vote. You know, they 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 vote based on how how folks finished last year there's a lot of uncertainty in our surrounding our program it feels less uncertain within you know i mean we talked about that as a staff the other day it feels fairly normal in our day-to-day operations here but on the outside looking in uh, what would you think jay right <laughs> when you're looking at etsu women's basketball uh, i not really sure what to expect i wouldn't pick us any higher than than six seventh somewhere in there um that being said i that's not that's not our expectation. You know, I think if we max out the potential and stay healthy, uh, we're going to be right there in the mix. Um, well, they were so. picked
0: bottom last year and obviously finished higher than, than sure. where they were picked last year. So all that kind of throw out the window uh, where you go. And last year it was pretty much a everyone thought mercer Sanford, and then it was almost throw a dart. And mm. this year it kind of feels like it's Mercer and then throw a dart <laughs> to the rest of the league because there's key pieces – at a few of schools that Sanford's been successful last few years that lost some key pieces, we'll see how quick they bounce back. And then there's a team like Wofford that really was picked at the bottom last year and came out of nowhere and had a spectacular year. So can they repeat? So other than Mercer, that would be the only constant I could have threw on the board. And I did vote in this thing. But that, that's the only one that I felt good about. All the rest was like, I
2: don't, I don't know. know.
0: Yeah, and it, it, that's the thing about – the Southern Conference, honestly, even dating back 20, 25 years, when you know Chattanooga was the perennial, almost top 25 team, it was pretty much Chattanooga, and then everybody else was in a dogfight. And other than the last two years where it's been Mercer, sanford everybody else has been a dogfight, and it's been one or two games that's separated third to seventh normally. And I feel like this year it could be very similar situation where Wofford, that was picked bottom, could come up no matter who that is, and then obviously somebody picked up top could fall down or will fall down at that point. So this is a unique league because other than whoever's – you know, kind of the hands-on favorite. Everything else has been up in the air in a wide-open league.
2: No, agreed. Uh, you know, obviously Susie Gardner's doing a great job over at Mercer. This is her thirteenth season. She's a seasoned coach. I mean, she was a head coach at Austin Peay, head coach at Arkansas. I was an assistant with her at Florida for three years. So, and uh, one of her assistants, David Lowry, was with us down at US. So I know Susie well, and and you know she's consistent. She's tough on her kids. Uh, she's very disciplined, and it's it's hard to beat it. Mercer's a team that's going to make you beat them. They're not going to make a lot of mistakes and that's what I'm trying to get our kids to understand you know the disciplined team that's consistent is going to win this league there's a lot of parity in this league Jay and then year to year we're probably going to be having this same conversation the portal transfers injuries it's going to make it really hard to nail that preseason top eight schools in the SOCON and really in any conference.
0: Well coach we appreciate the time Uh, we'll catch up with you during the year you'll be on some of our coaches' shows we'll try to catch up with you podcast and Uh, Keith, unfortunately, won't be doing the game with you Thursday. He had to fly back to Fargo to move back, so I'll be with you on Thursday to – Have that action. And then, uh, of course, uh, good luck to you on that Monday on the opener. I do like that you're not afraid to take in sort of that Colby mentality. You're you're not afraid to play the best of the best as you open up with the defending national champions.
2: That will be the ultimate measuring stick. And, uh, yeah, Jay, see you Thursday. I think that will be a great great, uh, opportunity for our fans to kind of meet all these new players, nine newcomers, five freshmen, four transfers, and, of course, the five returners from last year. So look forward to seeing everybody out, and thanks for listening today.
0: All right, that'll do it. Our full Southern Conference basketball preview show. We did all we could. And by we, I mean me, Keith the Slacker. All right, Keith, let's get back to Fargo, buddy. All right, we're not going to have another show this uh, week. We're going to move to Monday. Uh, just because, again, a lot of things going on. Keith's down here. I will be doing women's basketball and men's basketball exhibition games for you on the Air Sports Network on Thursday for the women, on Friday for the men. We'll recap both the exhibition games. We'll talk Southern Conference football. We'll recap what happened last weekend in Southern Conference football action, and we'll get you set for the Monday, and, uh, Monday men's and women's basketball openers. And then, of course, we'll have a couple shows later in the week where we'll talk ETSU football. Final home game of the year against Western Carolina. So a lot to talk about next week on the Jay and Keith Show. Keith will be back on another edition of Jay and Keith. Bucketters Road Network. Oh, you got to be kidding me.